in our uh, prayer circle tonight, as we were praying, uh, we were praying for tonight's service, and I was explaining to the, our volunteer team, which, by the way, let's give it up for our volunteer team. We have people that serve every week, welcoming people coming to the doors. We have people serving in our kids' ministry, um, on our worship team, um, and just praise God for how he uses our team to help us do what we do here in our community. So praise God for that. But as I was explaining to them about the service, and I said, we're getting ready to land the plane on, um, on our Easter sermon series. But I, as I said, the, as soon as I spit the words out of my mouth, I'm like, land the plane, but we're talking about Jesus going up. So it's like, actually, we're talking about takeoff here tonight. But we are going to talk about the ascension, which in the Apostles' Creed, Jesus, uh, the, the words say, he descended the dead on the third day, he rose again and ascended into heaven, and is seated at the right hand of God the Father. And so we're going to dive into that here tonight. But as we think about the overall story of the Bible, um, it doesn't start with the cross. It starts in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis 1.1. And in the beginning, God created everything amazing. He created everything perfect. It was ideal. And so much of what we have here today is not ideal, Right? But in the beginning, God intended things to be good. All the things he said, he said he made them good. And then he made humanity, and he said they were very good. That's right. And then Genesis 3 happens, right? And sin enters the world, and all of a sudden, you got stuff that's not good at all. All the heartache, all the pain, all the stuff that, the dysfunction that you and I see in this world, all comes into the world because of sin, then you fast forward to Jesus' arrival on the planet, and when he starts his ministry, he preaches the message of the kingdom, says the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has come. And he teaches his disciples to pray, on earth as it is in heaven. He wants the reality of heaven to come to earth. And it's amazing because when you look at the life and ministry of Jesus, that's exactly what we see, right? We see heaven coming to earth and the kingdom of God overcoming the kingdom of darkness. We see people who have afflictions. And I remember reading the scripture in the last couple of weeks, um, the story Jesus referred to someone that had an affliction, a physical affliction, and she, he referred to it being something that came from Satan himself. And as we look at stories like the demoniac and different people that when Jesus stepped onto the scene, the kingdom of God overcame the kingdom of darkness. But Jesus still had to walk in an imperfect world, a world with brokenness, a world with pain, a world with dysfunction. Matter of fact, he saw it every single day. We talked in Alpha this past week how every room and every space that Jesus went into, he knew everything. Can you imagine that for a second? Jesus walking into this room or any other room and literally being able to know every brokenness, every pain, every bit of sin, and having to process all of that information. Whew. So Jesus came to bring the kingdom, but things weren't fully realized yet, right? Things won't be fully realized until Revelation 19 talks about Jesus coming back again. How many know Jesus is coming back again? Amen. 
And he's going to complete what he started. And in Revelation 21, there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. But how many of y'all know we ain't there yet? Right? There's all kinds of evidence around us that we're not there yet. I, uh, I was driving home today. Um, I went to church this morning and uh, with Tim and Jenna. And I was driving home from church. And on the way home from church, there was some kids playing, like, pretty not in the middle of the road. Okay? <laughs> And as I'm driving by, I hear this tick sound on the van. So usually I just be like, ah. The Lord was like, no, you need to stop and go back. So I went back and these, this one little kid in particular went and hid behind a wood pile. But I went over and just like chatted with them and said, hey guys, like I think they thought I was going to be quite upset. And I just said, explain to them, like asked them what happened. Was it a rock? He said, actually, no, it was a nail. They fessed up to it. And then I went and just, you know, talked to the parent and whatever, and, and she just went on to say about, you know, just not having a dad in the picture. And it just, it just broke my heart. And, like, we just live in a world where things are not ideal. Where things are not the way that God even wants them to be. We're in this in-between state where Kids are struggling, and there's all kinds of people that need fathers, and we have all kinds of issues in our own community, like the addiction issue we have here in our own community. There's so many things that we see, you and I, every day, and it grieves our spirit, doesn't it? And we're like, God, like, are you going to do something in this situation? And it's kind of like a spiritual roller coaster, isn't it? We have moments in the life of our church even more recently where we see what Jesus actually does. That we see that Jesus actually does change people's lives, amen? But at the exact same time we see Jesus changing lives, we see all this brokenness and pain. And one of the problems with being a follower of Jesus is you just can't turn it off. You ever tried as a Christian just not caring? It just doesn't work. And so you have this spiritual roller coaster of like celebrating the good things that God's doing, but also bringing grief to the guts about the hurt and brokenness and pain that we see with the people that we rub shoulders with every day. And we know that God wants to do something there. And as a matter of fact, there's good news. Jesus actually did something for us to make a way to fix that brokenness, even while we live in this kingdom that's already, but not yet. We're kind of in this limbo state of Jesus bringing in the kingdom, but it's not fully realized yet. Does that make sense? And so Paul wrote in his words in Corinthians, we've been talking about that Christ died for our sins, that he was buried, that he was resurrected on the third day. But not only that, as we look in the book of Acts, Jesus gave some words to his disciples and he did something right before their very eyes. Let's read in Acts chapter one, starting at verse six. It says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father is fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power. Can you all say power? power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, into the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, 
as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing to heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. So there's three things I want to say about this passage of scripture right off the bat. And then I want to talk specifically about what does this Jesus ascending into heaven actually mean for us here today? You cool with that? Okay, three people. Awesome. Let's go. Uh, so the first thing I want to say is that their question was about restoring the kingdom. If you look at verse six, so it says, when they come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? I mean, it's actually a pretty fair question. Just think about this for a second. You're a disciple of Jesus. You walk with him. You saw him do miracles. You saw him do deliverances. You saw him do healings. You saw him do all this teaching. You saw all the crowds. You saw the proof that he was the Messiah. You saw it all. Then you saw the people kill him. But now he's back from the dead. So as a disciple of Jesus, in your head, you're probably thinking, it's go time. Let's go. Like, the bad guys didn't win. It's like a superhero movie, right? In all these superhero movies, there's always this tense moment oftentimes when you think the hero dies, right? But then he comes back and wins and wins the day, right? So in the disciples' mind, they're like, all right, they couldn't beat you. You came back from the dead. Let's get on with the mission. But the disciples were still thinking in earthly terms, weren't they? They were still thinking this Messiah was going to come with a sword and a scepter and overthrow earthly powers. The reason they were thinking this way is because they yet to receive the Holy Spirit. They didn't fully get it. So, yes, Jesus was coming to bring the kingdom in its fullness, but not in the way that they expected and power was coming, but it wasn't the kind of power they expected. It wasn't the power to make someone submit to the will of Jesus. It was him suffering in the love of God, moving the hearts of people to submit to his will. It was God wooing and calling and drawing and transforming, not forcing people to commit to following him. It's a different kind of power. And... He promised he would return, but not when they expect it. Jesus will come and set everything right one day. But in his wisdom, he knows best. And we don't really like that answer. I know the disciples didn't like that answer. And after he gave his few words to the disciples, he takes off. Can you imagine being a disciple at that moment? In your head, you're thinking, we got him back. He's here. He came back to life. It's go time. Let's do this thing. And then, he's gone. Ooh. Right? These disciples were eyewitnesses to the ascension of Jesus, but they didn't understand why. Why would you go? You're like, you just came back and we're ready to go and let's get on with this mission. And Jesus is like, no. Actually, don't go anywhere, okay? Go to the upper room. Wait on me. Don't go mess things up right now. Wait for the Holy Spirit to come first. Do not leave Jerusalem. 
Wait till you have the Holy Spirit to lead you and guide you and empower you. Because after they were filled with the Holy Spirit, God gave them understanding. God gave them revelation about who this Jesus fully and truly is. It's why we have in Acts chapter seven, Stephen, the Bible says, was full of the Holy Spirit. And as he was witnessing to these religious leaders who were giving him a very difficult time, the Bible says that Jesus, that Stephen saw Jesus at the right hand of God standing and not sitting at the place of glory and power and authority. And it's for this testimony that Stephen says he sees a living Jesus, a Messiah, at the right hand of God. It's for that reason that the religious leaders grab stones and stone Stephen. They throw their coats at Paul's feet, and Paul approves of the death of Stephen, the church's likely first martyr. So my question is, why would the religious leaders kill for the sake of believing what Stephen said? I mean, they could have just thought that he was losing his mind a little bit, but they took such offense to Stephen's testimony about a Jesus who was living at the right hand of God in the place of power. They took up stones and they killed the man for giving this testimony about seeing Jesus at this place of honor and glory and authority. Why would they kill him? What did the ascended Jesus mean so much that they would go to such dire straits to try to quelch out this testimony? Well, it's because Jesus at the right hand of God meant something to Stephen, and it meant something to the church over the last 2,000 years. And there's three things that it meant. And the first one is the real kicker to the religious leaders. Jesus ascending to the right hand of God means that Jesus serves as our high priest. And because Jesus became our great high priest, it meant that the old system, the old high priest, the old sacrificial system to try to get right with God, which never worked, has been totally replaced by the one high priest who offered one sacrifice once and for all time on the altar of God in heaven, which was his own life. The great high priest offered his life a sacrifice once and for all for all the sins of the world. So no more sacrifice or no more sacrificial system was necessary. So guess what that meant to the religious leaders? They were out of a job. They didn't care for that too much. They didn't like getting that pink slip. They wanted the power and the authority to control people's spiritual lives. So they got mad and they killed Stephen for that testimony. You see, Jesus, the Bible teaches us, was the mediator between God and man. And the Bible says in Hebrews that Jesus doesn't have to offer sacrifices anymore, but he lives in heaven right now to make intercession for you and for me. What does that mean that he lives to make intercession for you and for me? The Romans chapter eight says this, it says, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? 
Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So what does it mean? So we have here in two passages of scripture, in Hebrews and in Romans, it says he is interceding for us. What does it mean that Jesus is interceding for us? It means that he's praying for you and for me. Just let that sink in for one second. Jesus, the great high priest, who is alive in heaven right now, is praying for you. He is whispering your name to the Father, praying on your behalf. You know, one of the things I love to do as your pastor is I love to pray for you. Like, Anytime someone sends me a Facebook message, a text message, um, a fills out a connection card, when someone asks me to pray for something, like, I don't just say, yeah, I'm praying for you. That's one of my pet peeves, actually. <laughs> someone says, yeah, I'm praying for you, and they don't pray. When someone sends me a request, I stop whatever I'm doing, and I pray for that thing out loud, and I whisper your name to the Father. But you know, like, I I love being your pastor and I love praying for you, but just think about this for a second. Jesus is praying for you all the time. I don't know about you, but I find that incredibly encouraging to know that Jesus is whispering my name to the Father over and over again, praying on my behalf to give me strength and grace and power and energy, protecting me from the evil one. Jesus is constantly praying on your behalf. Can you picture that with me for a second? I know it's hard to imagine. And he's the perfect person to pray for you because he knows you inside out and he loves you. He knows what it is to go through the struggles that you're going through right now. He knows what it is to go through the heartache and the pain and the struggle and all the things because he was tempted in every way that we are, yet he didn't give into it. That's why he's qualified to be our perfect high priest. He knows, he understands, and that's why we can come boldly before the throne of grace to receive grace and mercy in time of need. He gets it. So if you're discouraged here tonight, and you're feeling it, and you're feeling like, man, I just feel so hopeless, may I just encourage you, Jesus himself is praying for you. Don't give up, don't. He's praying. How many of you believe prayer? Come on. I love when God supernaturally intervenes. He doesn't always answer in the way that we want. He always answers. It's yes, wait, or no. God always answers prayer. Now, here's one for you. Ready for this? You think the Father answers Jesus' prayers? Do you think the Father answers Jesus' prayers? Let me take it a step further. You think the Father answers Jesus' prayers for you? Does that encourage you tonight? He is our great high priest and he's praying for you tonight. Don't be discouraged and don't give up. He's for you, not against you. And the Bible says, if God be for you, who can be against? Amen. The thing about the ascended Jesus, and y'all say, Jesus promised to send a helper. It was so cool in the first, and this like seven-year-old say helper. 
helper. It was awesome. Helper. He promises to send the helper. This is what John, uh, Jesus says in John's gospel. It says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not go away. The helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus was limited with what he could do while he was on earth. It's one of the reasons why he sent out the disciples in Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 9, he sees all these people that are, you know, struggling. They're, 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 they're broken. They're messed up. He says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And he looks at his disciples and says, I want you to pray so many broken lives that need to experience the hope and the healing that the kingdom of God has to offer. So pray to the Lord of the harvest to raise up workers for the field. And then in the very next verse in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus sends out his disciples to go bring the kingdom of God to bring healing and hope to lives that need it. But even the 72 disciples and Jesus himself was limited to the area around Israel. He needed more women and more men to bring about the kingdom of God, to bring hope and healing to every corner of the earth. So Jesus said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because if I go away, I can send the Holy Spirit to fill the church with my passion and my power and my gifts to go and bring the hope and healing that I want to bring to every single human being. The Bible says the same. So in Acts chapter 2, as they're waiting in Jerusalem, the Bible says the sound came like a mighty rushing wind. And the place where they were standing, praying, waiting on Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit. And in that moment, the disciples were filled with the helper. They were filled with the Holy Spirit of power. And in that moment, Jesus filled these believers with God's power and God's passion, enabling them to do the will of God. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter four that he ascended into the heaven and gave gifts to men. You see, it's from the right hand of God that Jesus gives spiritual gifts. Some of y'all have spiritual gifts. Some of you know them and you walk in them, but some of you, God has given you spiritual gifts and abilities and you don't even know it. And God wants to unlock it within you. He wants to enable you, or, or, and some of you in this room, God wants to give you spiritual gifts, and you just need to begin to ask him. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. If you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, begin to ask God, say, Holy Spirit, would you show me, would you give me your gifts? Would you show me how you want to use me in the kingdom? Because God wants to fill you with his power and his passion to do the work that we're called to do. He wants to give you his power so you can be bold to talk about Jesus. You know, in this community, in the community I grew up in, we care a lot about what other people think about us, right? You guys are quiet on that one. Let me ask her one more time. In this community, in the community that I grew up in, we care a lot about what other people think about us. Some of y'all didn't say amen because you're worried about what other people think. <laughs> Right? We can have fun here tonight, right? What's amazing about the Spirit of God is the Spirit of God gives you such a boldness, it frees you from the enslavement of worrying what other people think and gives you the freedom to stand up and say, I believe in Jesus. 
He has changed my life. You might think I'm crazy. The Bible says it sounds foolishness to those that are perishing, but this is the real deal. Jesus has changed my life, and I'm unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it's the power of salvation. Amen? It gives you power to actually live out your profession. I'm not saying you're going to be perfect. None of us are going to be perfect. But how many know the Holy Spirit gives us the power to live our lives for Jesus? You can live a life pleasing to God because of the power that God gives you. And you can be a non-anxious presence in an incredibly anxious world. How many of you know that our world is incredibly anxious? Plagued with anxiety. And listen, we as believers, I have my struggles, but I'm thankful that as I trust in the power of Christ, he gives me peace that passes understanding and gives you peace that passes understanding. And as people look at your life, they look at the stress, they look at the pressure, they look at the tension, and they look at your peace. And they say, this don't make sense. How on earth can you have such peace in the midst of tribulation and storms? And you say, it's because of Jesus and his power. And people say, I want some of that. The Holy Spirit, the helper, gives us his power, but it also gives us his passion. How many of you know that after you experience the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit comes inside of you, all of a sudden, you have this heart for broken people. Like, man, I saw those kids today, man. I'll tell you what. Oh, man. How many know that when you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, your heart begins to break for the things that break God's heart? your heart begins to be tender and you begin to have passion for God and passion for people. Remember I told you earlier as a follower of Jesus, you're like, you just can't turn off the caring part. <laughs> Sometimes maybe we wish we could, but you can't. As a follower of Jesus with the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, you have this love burning in your bones that compels you every single day. So every room you walk in, every person you encounter, you have this love of God burning in you for them, even sometimes when you don't want to. Right? And it's there on purpose. God fills you with his passion and his power. And so ask for more of that. Say, God, would you fill me with the Holy Spirit? I'm gonna invite the worship team to come at this time. So Jesus is our great high priest. I hope that encourages you tonight as you're going through any struggles. He's praying for you on your behalf. Jesus is the helper. He promises to send the helper to give you passion and power to live your life for him. Not just to live with you. The Holy Spirit wants to live in you. And finally, Jesus ascended to the right hand of God and he stands over creation with authority. The Bible says in Colossians chapter one that Jesus holds all things together. The Bible says that God raised Jesus to the right hand of God by his mighty power. That he is far above all rule and authority, power and dominion and every title that can be given, not only in this present age, but also in the one to come. First Peter says that he's at the right hand of God with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. 
Philippians chapter two says that Jesus humbled himself even to the point of death, yes, even death on a cross. But then God exalted him to the highest place that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. All authority, Jesus said, in heaven and earth has been given to me. He reigns above it all. He is the master of the universe. He is the king of kings and he is the Lord of lords. And angels and principalities and powers are subjected to Jesus. I know that's out there. What that all means is Jesus is in a place, the highest place of authority. And he's your high priest at the same time. He cares deeply about you. And he has the whole host of angels in heaven at his disposal for you. As I was preparing tonight, I just got this sense that Satan is trying to bully a bunch of y'all. And it kind of made me a little mad. And that's what he does. He's a big bully and he likes to try to condemn. He likes to try to always tell you that you're a failure. He likes to attack your self-image. He likes to accuse you and bring stuff up from your past all the time. He fills your head with lies. He tries to play with your thoughts, play with your emotions, and just do all kinds of stuff to make you feel discouraged and down. And as I was thinking about that, I got thinking about how Jesus is in the place of highest authority. And he has authority over the evil one. As a matter of fact, he conquered Satan at the cross and through his resurrection. He broke every lie and he forgave every sin. And he's the great high priest who's praying for you. And he actually wants to give you authority to silence the lies of the enemy that he's speaking into your head and into your heart. He is giving you the authority because you are seated with Christ in the heavenly places. So here's my word to you, church. Stop letting Satan bully you. He doesn't have any power over your life anymore as a child of God. You know who has power over your life? The most powerful being in the universe. You know what his name is? Come on. What's his name? He's the name above every other name. The name of Jesus. How many of you know there's power in the name of Jesus? Amen? So let's take that power. Let's take our authority. We're victors. We're more than conquerors in Christ. Amen? So let's take the authority Christ has given us. Let's give him glory and honor. And let's walk in freedom and victory and step into all that God has for us. He's worthy tonight. Amen? I invite Alex to come and pray for us.